Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on best practices, innovations that can help banks and their customers manage during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker, and my guests this week are Sumit Oberai, Senior Vice President of Digital Technology, and Martin Wildberger, Executive Vice President of Innovation and Technology at the Royal Bank of Canada. Thanks so much for joining me. So how was RBC able to move the vast majority of its workforce to working remotely in just a few weeks' time? Martin, what is your take on this? The bank has been really incredibly well positioned um, for this crisis. You know, six years ago, we started on this journey of becoming a technology-enabled bank. And so we made a lot of investments and a lot of focus on our digital transformation. And so we were able to find that, you know, this digital capability really allowed our clients to engage with us in these new digital channels. So we also did massive investments in our overall development tools and our overall capabilities around DevOps, cloud, and data. And, you know, I think our, our whole movement to Agile really allowed, you know, our development teams to work in a very productive manner across distributed capabilities. And so, you know, very quickly, you know, we, we felt that we had the underlying foundations, the underlying capabilities of this six years of investments. I mean, we've invested, you know, over $20 billion over that time period, really allowing us to do this digital transformation. And that allowed us to, to really now you know, focus on, you know, what did we need to do to help our clients engage in, and, and move over into this digital capability. Sumit, what were the main challenges to doing this whole working remotely and the vast majority of your workforce doing it? And how did you overcome them? Yeah, we had a number of challenges that we had to overcome. I mean, I tell a personal story, which is my team is largely based in Toronto, and it is an agile development team. And we had just opened up an office in Montreal about five weeks before the pandemic hit. And the reason we'd opened that Montreal office is really to, to access a wider talent pool. Montreal has a lot of great digital talent and technology talent. And I actually had been the, the person trying to slow down that investment. Let's start with 20 people and get to 50 people by the end of the year. Because I felt a lot of our collaboration, a lot of our success in uh, delivering product to market had been about this close working relationship with the business, these co-located agile teams. And overnight, we had to change that to be a remote workforce and dealing with the sort of work processes around that, making sure we all had the right tools to do that. Those are some of the challenges in the early days, getting all the same, what we would call rituals, working in the same way over a video conference rather than face-to-face. But to be honest, I was blown away at how quickly our teams uh, adapted to this new working environment. And then beyond that, there were a few other challenges not really related to the software development teams, but for example, cyber. We have had a significant increase in phishing attacks. There's a lot of government money flowing through the system, which attracts a lot of fraud. So we've had to really step up our controls and we've had to assess, I mean, things like printing from home. Are we okay with that or are we not? And we really erred on the side of, slowly releasing controls where it makes sense, but protecting the bank is priority one, even if that means that we need to work through different work processes. We do have some contingent workforce in India. India really overnight announced with 24 hours notice that it was going into a major lockdown in a number of major markets, and we had to react on a dime. And in that case, a lot of the workforce did not have laptops, so they couldn't bring their machines home with them. They might not have had the right connectivity at home, 
as well. And so we had, we had to go through a prioritization exercise where we understood who are the most critical employees to get back and running first and who could we, uh, we quote-unquote, live without for a longer period of time as we worked through that situation in India. And, and we went to that prioritization. In the end, it was really only a few weeks before the whole, all operations were back and running, but we were preparing ourselves for a, a longer period. And then I, I would say the, the most important work here is, is really our frontline workers, many of whom either had to continue to come into the office or into a branch environment typically, or um, who had to shift to work from home and weren't well set up to work from home. And I think we did a number of things to enable them technology-wise, again, ordering laptops, ordering monitors, dealing with supply chain challenges uh, as lots and lots of companies were looking for the same demand at the same time. I think the single biggest lesson though, or uh, advice I might even give is really, I think we RBC has done a wonderful job leading with empathy through this time. Whether that's supporting our employees who have young kids at home and giving them extended child leave, giving a special compensation to recognize the work that the frontline employees are doing, supporting our workforce to work remotely at the hours that make sense for them, no capacity constraints. And even allowing allowances to, to allow our employees to improve their homework environment, because this is going to be, an as we knew this was going to be an extended period of time. So all of that empathy has, I think, really done a, done a great job of engaging with our workforce and addressing their needs. I also guess that the empathy is actually helping keeping employees motivated. Martin, you know, how does RBC really maintain that motivation and even see productivity improvements when the teams are working remotely? One of the things that uh, we really benefited from uh, quickly was that we were able to make the transition relatively easy. Um, within two weeks, as uh, Sumit mentioned, we were able to transition the, our entire workforce. Uh, we're over 90% of our employees are working from uh, from home. You know, so once we put all of the personal tools in place, you know, we had the right bandwidth, we had the right capabilities. We really relied on a massive communication plan. The communication plan was both internal, uh, using our digital channels. We were able to consistently send out a message that job security was uh, was going to be guaranteed through uh, 2020. This took a lot of apprehension and fear off of uh, many of our frontline workers. Uh, we were able to you know, very quickly make sure that we had the right dialogue between our employees, our managers, this focus on making sure that our employees were looked after was, was front and center. We made it very clear that the number one priority was going to be to look after our clients and that we couldn't do that if our employees weren't well positioned. And so, you know, having that understanding, making sure that we realized we had this overall framework of support, but at the same point in time, we had lots of creativity and ingenuity at the individual level because, you know, every one of us was interacting with this thing differently. So we, we, we looked at our hours that we were working, tried to make sure that people had flexibility. We continually had feedback mechanisms, what's working, what ideas, uh, you know, we could come up with that would address, you know, the needs of the day. But then, you know, I think the, the, one of the biggest backdrops to our, you know, ma maintaining motivation was that our organization could be very productive. Um, you know, we really relied on the technology investments that we had done in the past to allow us to be well positioned for this new agile way of working. We've had, we've been doing this for the last four or five years. Uh, for the last year, we've been actually extending our agile methodology into a distributed agile, allowing us to do this across multi-sites. 
so that distributed agile capability came into you know uh, was was perfectly positioned to allow us to now work from home and so you know, we we had actually productivity measurements across our development organizations where we could show that on any given time we took the average of what we were doing before uh, this pandemic crisis into where we are now and we were able to demonstrate that we were anywhere between 15 and 20 percent more productive meetings were getting much more efficient people were able to obviously save on their commute times and 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 just you know now focus on the job at hand and they had the tools to allow them to do that and so we believe that with a you know a combination of a great communication plan uh, you know combination of the strength of the bank uh, where we were incredibly well positioned allowed our employees to focus on what matters which was you know be productive and help our clients through uh, this crisis Sumit, do you want to add anything to what Martin just said? I think our leadership team from the top on down, from Dave McKay, our CEO, to Bruce Ross, our head of technology, and to our first level managers have really focused on supporting our clients and our employees jointly during this period. And I think that's really trickled through the culture. I, th- I think what somebody said is you, you can't fake culture in a time of crisis. And I think for RBC, that really shone through. So maybe let's look at what RBC has been doing to support its clients during the pandemic. Sumit, can you could you answer that question? First, I would say from a technology point of view, really a lot of the investments that Martin spoke about in terms of agile, in terms of speed of delivery and capabilities top to bottom have allowed us to respond very quickly. And there has been a need to respond very quickly. I mean, in Canada, which is the, the primary location of our retail bank presence, like many other jurisdictions, there were a number of government programs uh, announced to help uh, support the economy. And a number of those programs were delivered via the banks, whether those were loan-based programs or uh, wage subsidy programs. And in all the cases, we, we often had sort of five, seven days from the time the program was announced to having it in market. And our clients were in really desperate need of, of accessing those funds and those loans. And so really we were working on, whether a good example is our SIBA program, which is the Canadian Emergency Benefit Program for Small Business Loans. We launched that in about seven days and we had over 40,000 applicants for that loan program, close to 50000 now, funding almost $2 billion worth of loans. To put that in perspective, that's more than we would have funded the entire previous year. And that was done in the period of a few weeks. And I think importantly, we delivered those straight, what we call with straight through processing. So top to bottom, there wasn't manual intervention. Because if you can think about it, if we had to touch even 20, 30% of those loans manually, our back office operations team would have been overwhelmed. So we, first and foremost, really delivered value to our clients through enabling them to access some of the relief programs from the government. I think a second area I would point at is uh, volumes. There were a number of areas of our business, our wealth management and our, our individual trading businesses had record volumes as the stock market volatility was very high. Again, a story I might tell is that the last time we had volumes like this was in 2018 when uh, cannabis was legalized in Canada and there was a massive frenzy of trading volumes. We actually fell over and had uh, a day or two of uh, technology issues then. And we learned from, from that time and investing in a lot of cloud technology and the ability to rapidly scale, that allowed us, because these volumes were about almost double the volumes we had 
back in 2018 and on a much more sustained period. And we were able to handle those volumes. Another area would be our rewards business, where a lot of our clients were stranded as uh, flights were canceled. And, and we have one of the largest rewards programs in Canada. And we had to adapt and, and enable some technology to allow our clients to self-service more easily in terms of rebooking their flights, as our advice center was overwhelmed with calls for the first few days. And maybe most importantly is the idea of remote advisor connectivity. I mean, a lot of RBC's strength is the, is the power of its people and its advisors. Again, whether that's in the wealth advisor, whether that's in our retail banking branch advisors. And a lot of that interaction typically happens face-to-face, -face, especially for complex products where you're replanning your finances or your investment strategies. And we were able to really enable those con that connectivity, to whether that happens over video or whether that happens over new self-service capabilities that we delivered. All of those things really enabled our advisors to continue to be in contact with their clients. I mean, one thing I would say is that our 60-plus crowd actually had the largest growth in digital usage during this period. A number of people we might have segmented into what we call our branch diehard segment, like the clients that are most sticky to the branches. We've seen a number of them shift, and, and they've shifted to things like e-transfers, peer-to-peer payments happening digitally as cash has really reduced. So there's been a lot of, I'd say, volume growth, capability investments, and really focus on enabling our advisors. And as we come out of the pandemic, I think we will see continue to double down on that work. Excellent. I really like the example of learning from the 2018, what happened then. How do you think the bank can turn the lessons learned during this crisis into longer term innovations? This lesson reinforces the importance of culture. We have spent a you know, massive amount of energy on making RBC a special place to work. And one of the things that we are looking at now is, is as we as we work from home and we realize that clearly work from home will take on a greater uh, you know, significance when we go back to normal. Uh, we're still you know doing a lot of analysis on what are those cultural rituals uh, that bring us all together and allow the teamwork and collaboration uh, that is so pervasive inside RBC to uh, to foster. And so that's that's a key area of focus. Um, a second area is about the importance of communication. And we're continually looking at more and more innovative ways to you know, horizontally connect the bank, uh, to communicate in real time, um, massive use of, of online you know, chat channels uh, so that we can effectively you know, bring the talent and skills uh, of RBC together. Uh, and I think a third lesson has been just the, the critical importance of talent. You know, we've done a massive transformation over the last five, six years in becoming a technology-enabled bank. And you know, we've massively uh, invested in our student program. And we wanted to make sure that that student program uh, was not impacted through this crisis. And so you know, uh, we've got you know, over 1,400 uh, summer students that are currently engaged in, in with RBC for the first time in a remote setting. And so again, that's putting a lot of lessons learned in terms of how we bring you know, people on board and how do we uh, you know, get people up and running productively. Uh, but probably the most significant uh, lesson learned is just the speed of execution that is possible. You know, when you're in a crisis, you, you make decisions differently and you know, we're analyzing you know, how can we make distributed decision-making even more effective going forward and how do we sort of leverage that capability. 
And then clearly from a prioritization perspective, uh, the transformation to digital uh, has been uh, has been just amazingly uh, impressive amongst our client base. Uh, things that we thought would take years, you know, they've been able to do in weeks. And so there's this new, uh, I think, pent up demand for new digital capability. Uh, there's a, it's like there's a whole new uh, you know, client set of, of digital engagement uh, that uh, is, is possible across the organization. And so for many across the bank, those in the technology organization, we always knew the power of, of digital transformation. But I think, you know, the business has seen firsthand uh, the benefits of this digital transformation. And so a lot of those new you know, you know, priorities and new, new strategies and innovation techniques uh, to be able to engage in clients and deliver new value in new ways, I think, is, is, is really exciting. And so in, in many ways, we look at this time period as a period where we can leverage the investments we have made, yet looking forward, we see uh, you know, a, a, a great opportunity for those that have the right scale, the right uh, you know, cultural uh, positioning, uh, you know, clearly the importance of, of capital uh, to be able to make the right investments uh, to really serve our clients in, in, in more and more differentiated ways. As you think about the prioritization coming out of this period, it, it's not that we think this is going to result in a new strategy. I mean, RBC was actually awarded the Selling Model Bank of the Year for its digital strategy and its digital activation program, the connectivity between our advisors and digital. And if anything, it just makes us double down and look at our priority list and make adjustments on what might have been more important or less important. There will, there will certainly be a changing of the order of things on the list, though the overarching strategy, both our, our business strategy and our technology strategy really does remain the same. But I think there are four priorities that are rising up to the top. One is, again, remote advisor connectivity, because we do believe this will be an extended period where people won't be face-to-face -face with their advisors. How do we make sure our advisors are highly productive in a remote setting? Two is straight-through operations. Again, how do we make sure? I mean, there will be an increased focus on cost as well, given uh, the economy we will be facing. But how do we really make sure that all of the work we do on the front end also translates straight through to improvements in productivity on the back end? And digital self-service, again, as Martin alluded, this has really accelerated the adoption of digital. I, I think we will see how we come out of this, whether that some of those, those branch diehards revert back to the branch. I expect some absolutely will, but many won't, or many have been introduced to new capabilities they weren't familiar with before. And lastly, we have a strategy around partnerships and ecosystems. And I think this period, as we really doubled down our partnerships with merchants in, in the Canadian retail space and how we help them come emerge out of the pandemic as well, all of that strategy around building the best partnerships in, in, in markets we operate in has really, is really important as well. So I think those were all priorities before, but they are priorities that we're going to double down on as we emerge from the pandemic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Sumit and Martin, and thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcast. Wow. 
when your skin feels nourished and glows. You radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.